0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our guest is Randy Silver, a product management consultant, author, and podcast host, and we're going to talk about product management in hard times. This episode is brought to you by Springboard a mentor-led platform guaranteed to get you hired for a design role. Springboard's UI UX design bootcamp will prepare you for your next design job by pairing you with an industry design expert, career coach, and student advisor. You'll gain real-world design experience and build your portfolio all 100% online. Apply today at springboard.thld.co/uibreakfast. You can also find the link in the show notes. Hi, Randy.
1: Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: We're excited. It couldn't be a better year to talk about crisis and product (laughs) management, really. And really, (laughs) too many jokes to make here. Not even funny, actually. But tell us a bit about yourself. How you ended up uh, focusing on this topic, and what did you do before that? What's your background story? Sure. So
1: I'll, I'll start with background, if that's okay. So I came out of school and was a music journalist for 10 years, because that's always the way that it works to get into product management, but that was a long time ago. And I came over to the UK to help launch the music store and spent six months doing that, and I knew how to do that job. But I woke up one day after the launch and said, you know, I'd rather stay here in the UK how do I do my job? And the problem was I had all the technical knowledge, I had all the subject matter expertise, but in the States, I also knew everyone in the industry. And it's hard to be an editor if you don't know publicists and writers and things like that locally. And I didn't want to spend a few years just rebuilding my network to get back to the same place. So I started thinking about what is it that I actually do? And it turns out that working with writers and editors and designers and developers and a whole bunch of other people and helping them all to create something that's better than the sum of the parts and targeted at providing customer value value it's a highly transferable skill set so it took me a few years to figure out exactly what it was and how i fit into things and i tried project management briefly that wasn't for me and then i was a senior interactive producer for a while which is the same thing as product except without any discipline whatsoever and then so on, uh, i moved back to the uk about 13 years ago and someone offered me a job as a product manager and i asked them what that was and they started telling me about agile and scrum and things like that and i said oh my God, there are other people who do this and there are best practices and frameworks and people to learn from. And I I just haven't looked back ever since. And I went and worked uh, for a bunch of large companies. And for the last couple of years, I've been working as a consultant, a trainer, a coach and podcaster, and now apparently an author. And that came about because as COVID started to hit and the lockdown began, I was talking to a bunch of my colleagues who are product leaders in various companies and just figuring out, how is this going to affect us? What do we do? And the conversations I was having were, all turned out to be pretty similar, and the advice I was giving seemed to resonate really well. So I sat down to write an article about it to take the conversation from one-to-one to lots of other people and see where I could go with it. And the article just kind of kept going. And I outlined it, and it was really long. And so I wrote a note to uh, Jeff Gotthelf and Josh Seiden, who run Sense and Respond Press, and said, are you guys up for this? and would you want to do it really quickly and put all the profits to charity and to my surprise they said yes so then i had to actually sit down and do it and a couple of weeks later i turned in a draft and we went back forth and back and forth a little bit and picked a charity it's a uh, medicine sound frontier and we put out a book really quickly called what do we do now and the whole idea is when you have this amount of uncertainty What are the conversations you need to be having internally and what are the questions you need to be having with your team and with your customers to figure out what you and your team should be doing to best serve your customers and provide the best value for your company?
0: That's a very inspiring story. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with the world and providing the book on such charitable basis. That's very nice of you. How has that been so far? Has your knowledge evolved? Because it's been quite a few months and things don't get much better (laughs) with with many other crises out there.
1: Yeah, so what I discovered is that everything I wrote seems really relevant and I'm still getting great feedback from people. And it's gone from what do we do now to what do we do next, but it's the same basic principles. I did learn uh, some things and I had a few big surprises along the way about assumptions I made, but didn't change the the underlying uh, feeling and advice. What I learned is a a couple of months in, I assumed that people would be full of doom and gloom uh, because I certainly was at that point. we, We were in lockdown. We couldn't really leave the house and it was just getting to me. But when I talked to a bunch of product leaders during a workshop that I had, people were actually really engaged. And part of that might've been because I was getting people together and they were having a day out, well, a virtual day out, and they were talking to people from other companies and they were getting the chance to do something a little bit different, which was quite nice. But I also found out that you know, people who worked for retail companies, all the stores were closed and half the company was really having a hard time, but digital was going really well. They were really engaged because they could try things and they were working in a different way than they had before because there was an acceptance that everything was going out was unfinished and it was a trial and it was going to iterate and evolve and it's the way we always like to work but they were in an old school environment and hadn't had the ability to do that in their normal day-to-day working and all of a sudden they had acceptance from the senior management team and same thing with a number of other companies slight variations on it some of them had to change their approach in terms of what their objective was so they were going from an acquisition model to an activation and retention model in this case it was a company that was working in a hobby area and normally the problem was that they needed to get people interested but now all of a sudden people were locked at home and bored and they were really into doing this service so it was it didn't have any problems around acquisition anymore it was about activation and retention and it was a lot of things like that and i wasn't expecting to see people so engaged on things so quickly
0: First and foremost, we all should be super grateful that we are in the digital industry and that we had all these workplaces arranged in the house. A large part of us, a large part of our listeners are working from home for many years, not just this year. And we have the skills and the ability to iterate and to uh, scratch things and restart them. But let's say you're a product manager and overnight... Over a week or two, the world just like came crashing down. You had a roadmap and now you have no roadmap. What are the big steps? What do you have to think about? Now, the customer has changed, their needs has have changed, and the resources you have on hand have changed. What do you even do? It's
1: a good question. So it's not that you have no roadmap. You still have a roadmap you had, but that roadmap was based on certain assumptions and certain priorities, which may or may not be true now. So we need to go back to the beginning. And this is something that product managers, but also designers and developers and anyone who uses product thinking, anyone who's involved in making strategic decisions, ideally works this way anyway. You take a look at your personas, your, your customers and your potential customers, and you say, who are they? What are the problems that they have and how do they prioritize those problems themselves? What are they doing to solve that problem right now and are they willing to pay for it either with money or attention based on how you sell to, to people and what your model is? But how do they do it and what does the market look like for them? And is there a space in the market where you can be better than anyone else for a certain segment of people and make a viable business? And we always talk about this in terms of usability, feasibility, and viability, but we look at personas and market analysis to to form the basis for our strategies. But now you have to go back and look at those things again. You have to go back and look at your personas. And that's something you should have been doing anyway, realistically. And I know some people don't use personas. Some people use avatars. It's much of a muchness from my perspective. There are different ways of tackling the same basic idea. And you can use a jobs to be done. You can use any number of other frameworks. Whatever works for you is fine. The point is that you're having conversations about your customers and what they care about right now and consistently re-examining those. And then again, looking at the market because things are changing really rapidly. Some companies are doing great. Some companies are going out of business. Some regulations are changing. Some The ability for companies to operate in different markets is changing. So We don't have crystal balls. We have to just look at what's the market look like now and what are some plausible scenarios that we could look at of what it's going to be like a week from now, a month from now, a year from now and make plans as best we can and then continue to iterate on those things. And then, as you said, the roadmap, that's based on certain things that we know, the facts that we have in hand, and then some assumptions that we're making. And a fact plus an assumption turns into a hypothesis. And that's what our entire roadmap is based on. And so we try and prioritize experiments to validate those things as quickly as possible. And if we're already working that way, then we already have the ability to do that. The nice thing, I hate saying that, it's not really the nice thing, but the nice thing for the way we work in this crisis, in these times, is that the rest of the organization is suddenly unsure as well. And they be, may be open to using some of the methodologies and the frameworks and the ideas that we like to employ in a way that they haven't been open in the past. <laughs>
0: We have coincidentally, right in the beginning of the crisis, at our product at UserList, adopted the shape-up methodology by Basecamp. And that's been very helpful because they don't suggest you plan very far away anyways. And that's been kind of handy. We didn't have any roadmap to scratch. We we kind of played <laughs> by ear. Thankfully, the industry uh, we are in wasn't that much affected either. When it comes to validating those assumptions, revalidating them, there are Classic research methods that are supposed to work, etc. But what do you do when your customer base is on fire when they have other <laughs> things to worry about? How do you get, like get them on the phone to talk when they're so, I mean, like frustrated, crazy at going out of business, anything you put there?
1: Well, it's hard at the best times. And if you have good relationships with people, then you might have the ability to to get to them pretty quickly. You know, if they're working in healthcare, especially early on, I knew people who were working in healthcare and education services. And they said, you know what? We're just going to leave our customers alone. We'll let them tell us. We're going to do very light touch things. But even so, in some of those cases, there were people who were furloughed and they were bored of sitting at home and talking to the same people and being in the same calls with the same groups. And sometimes they would just welcome the change of scenery and the, the ability to vent to a vendor or a partner that they had a decent relationship with or a favorable impression of. And They were able to, I saw people who said, we have no problem with accessing customers right now because people are not traveling. They have a little bit more time from that perspective. And frankly, they just want to change the scenery or they're looking for solutions and they think we might be able to help. So if they talk to us, they think we might be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. So sometimes it works really well. Other times it can be really hard. I mean, everyone's in different situations with homeschooling and caring for people and dealing with any number of problems. So there is no single right answer for this.
0: There are multiple, actually a few trajectories that this could take for a particular product slash company, and one of them being everything is bad because we serve like uh, restaurants and restaurants are down and music events are down and sports are out and everything is like closed. What do they do? The other one is like, we're just basically unsure, but things seem to be okay. And the other one is, oh, wait, we have to scale suddenly uh, and and deal with the influx of customers because we're like Zoom or Slack or (laughs) another company that has some technology issues because everybody started to use them. So what are your recommendations for each of these categories. Oh, that's an
1: interesting one. So I did talk to some people who worked in supermarkets in a couple of different countries. And it was interesting because they were very excited because they worked on the digital side and everything was working well for them in terms of their systems scaled and things worked. The problem was the logistics didn't scale. So if you wanted home deliveries, there were still only so many slots that you could have. And there was very little that they could do to change the way that the entire uh, bricks and mortar side of it and the logistics side worked. So they did what they could and they experimented where they could. But it was a really interesting thing that they were only able to, you know, you'd think that this was a massive opportunity for customer acquisition, But it wasn't necessarily so. And instead, for uh, where I live in in London, a lot of the local stores started doing things. The mom and pop shops started doing things that they had never done before around doing regular weekly deliveries and things like that. And they needed support in that. So there were really opportunities and they were relying on different digital tools and different uh, digital products and services that they had never used before to create a different type of relationship with the local customer. So the shops worked really well and there were definitely tools that they used they had to you know start taking digital payments for the first time ever they'd always been cash or card in shop only so there were definitely opportunities in those spaces for people who work with entertainment and restaurants and things like that again it was really hard for a lot of people but there were things that moved online there are concerts online now there are comedy nights online and i'm sure i don't know how well they're doing because everyone gets zoom fatigue but some of the, there were opportunities in that space for some things to happen and go really well. And if you were able to create a transition and say, you know what, what we were working on in a ticketing system for live events is no longer valid. Let's scrap that, but let's see what we can take in in our stack and repurpose it to be an online events that has the potential to do really well. So there is the ability to pivot along with your customers as well. And I'm not sure if I answered all three of your scenarios there, but just shout if I missed something.
0: <laughs> Are there any other interesting stories that you've you've seen from big businesses or small businesses that have done a spectacular pivot during these times?
1: Well, certainly, you know, from big businesses, the entertainment companies, Disney accelerated a bunch of launches and so did a bunch of other things for, the, for their online to try and get things out there. And uh, most of them have done really well um, in the States. Quibi is... Not done so well because they went uh, mobile only and suddenly people were not only looking at their mobiles, it was designed to be used while commuting and they didn't pivot so quickly and they've had some problems. But there are lots of other companies that have done spectacularly well in that space. But I don't think we've seen the full impact from this yet, but certainly in the U.S. and the U.K., the way that furloughs and support has been in place means that the real problems that we're going potentially going to see later this year have not fully been felt. Lots of companies have not been closed. They've been going along with government support, and I'm not sure what we're going to see over the next few months. It's going to be a little bit scary.
0: Yes, that's another side. It seems like the world is coming back to normal, but we are really in the bottom of economic recession right now. Maybe not even at the bottom because all the money, the government money has been going into the, at least I can speak for Russia because I'm based here. Money has been going into dealing with the crisis and everybody else who does government contracts, they do not have the resources. And that's Hmm. like, a large part of the economy is not getting funded. So we are only just scratching the surface of this crisis.
1: The one thing that I think has really changed, so we can talk about the impact it's had on commercial real estate or will have on commercial real estate and on businesses and city centers who rely on people who are commuting, that's a really hard thing to, to deal with. But the one positive thing that I think will come out of this and has worked well, for again, for people in our type of profession, is the idea of managing for productivity theater, where you just doing things or giving the appearance of working, of sitting at your computer in front of somebody else and looking like you're interested in typing and uh, on calls, you know, where you're doing outputs rather than outcomes, I think that's got to be gone because no one can manage to that anymore. And we've been pushing people towards outcome-based thinking and trusting people and giving them autonomy and being a lot more concise in terms of alignment of what is it we need you to do? What does success look like? And if we can define that well and trust the people we work with, that's a superpower now. And for the product teams I've worked with for the last god 10 years, both in in individual locations and distributed teams, that's been something we've been trying to push in our companies and trying to achieve. And where you can do that, that's something fantastic.
0: What can you say about not just COVID, but the, the bigger political crisis that hit up to that and the, what we're dealing with right now? And you're also in the UK, you deal with Brexit and everything <laughs> else. Like, it's not just the health slash remote COVID problem. It's much bigger. Do you have any recommendations maybe related to marketing or just generally, how do you stay sensitive to the people around you when it's so hard to be that?
1: Yeah, and I'd throw in being sensitive to the people you work with as well, because there's demands on them and making sure that they have what they need. I concentrate, to be honest, more on the people around me work-wise first, because they're the ones I have direct impact on a day-to-day basis, and then customers who... Especially if you're in a B2B place or you provide part of somebody's stack, you, what you do may not feel very important on the day-to-day basis, but your customers, what they're doing might be part of a critical service. So you have to make sure that you've got a reliability there and then you're making sure that you're taking care of everybody else. In terms of uncertainty, I had someone ask a couple of weeks ago should we not bother doing strategy work right now? Should we not bother looking at roadmap and backlog right now in terms of prioritization? And should we wait for things to calm down? And the answer was an emphatic no, you should be doing it right now. But remembering that all of this stuff is always meant to be temporary. It is a discussion that you're having with everybody else. And it is just an understanding of, what is it we think is important right now? And this will change as facts change. And if you assume that the future is going to be stable, I mean, it doesn't matter when you're talking about the future is always unstable. You're always right for disruption. You don't know when someone else is going to come out with a killer new feature or when the market is going to change in some way. And as soon as that happens, you have to refocus anyway. So treat now kind of like normal, but take the opportunity to get other people working the same way in questioning the assumptions and validating things and doing that on a regular basis.
0: There's this aspect of resource management when you have a team and they're suddenly only half as productive as they used to be or even less. So, and your deadlines and everything as a product manager, they're just blown. How do you deal with that kind of uncertainty?
1: Yeah, John Cutler has a fantastic series of articles and tweets about work in progress and being able to limit that. And I think that's a really key thing to keep talking to people about. And again, the nice thing about what's going on right now is management t- tends to be sensitive to the needs that the their employees have in a way that they may not have been before. And if you're dealing with increasing workload, whether that's just because the demands on the business are high or because other people have been furloughed and not everyone's available – uh, from for that perspective or because you're dealing with homeschooling or caring for people or any number of other things, it's impossible to expect everyone to be at the same capacity as they always were. I've heard of some places where people are working more hours and they found solace in it or they claim to, and that's great, but that's also unsustainable. So you have to realize w- what people are able to do. But ruthless prioritization is something that's really critical in these cases. If you find that you're feeling overwhelmed, Say, what are we doing that we don 't need to be doing? Uh, which are the meetings that we 've carried over and we 've always no, doing them because we 've always done them. And can we go Marie Kondo on them and say to the meetings in our diary, does this meeting spark joy? Does this meeting add value? Or can we make it asynchronous instead and make it an update? Meetings are really important. Relationships are incredibly important. Being able to see people and to have that human contact is incredibly important. But that doesn't mean that everything has to be a scheduled half an hour, 45 minute hour Zoom call. If there are other things that you can do sometimes and reserve those calls for the things that add value, do that.
0: There are also some opportunities for uh, for product management in terms of you have suddenly some spare time, spare resources. Like for example, you had a roadshow planned, or conferences, or uh, like some interview series that are just not good place, good time for them right now. And you have spare resources to kind of regroup, revisit your product fundamentals, maybe set up some new user onboarding and things like that. We as providers of such tools have been observing actually an influx of people who are interested in improving their processes. So do you have any guidelines and opportunities that are uncovered in that regard?
1: Sure. So before I get into tools, I'm just going to talk about people a little bit. For people who work B2B and B2C, sometimes sales or marketing or support people are not usually are not that available or you may not have had the best relationship with them in the past. And now people aren't traveling so they potentially have a little more availability than they did before. And the ability to get those people into the planning sessions and big team retros and making sure that the objective, the outcome that you're trying to, you're all aligned on doesn't mean that these people should be part of your team from the perspective of attending daily standups and taking JIRA tickets or something like that. But if you're not aligned, with sales, with marketing, and with support, then you don't have a full understanding of your end-to-end customer experience of what's happening. You're just getting code into production and hopefully making it pretty. And the real value of the work you do is measuring, did this have the effect we wanted it to have? And that's something that works across a lot of silos in the company. So anything you can do to get alignment with the relevant people in those teams is really critical. In terms of customers, I have seen a couple of people, a couple of places do some really nice things with conferences that... It's not going to replicate the full experience, but using Hopin, for example, they've done a really nice job of creating an alternative online experience that's as close as you're going to get. So that's a possibility. Again, customers are potentially more available than they would have been in the past in some regards, especially if you're able to say, we're going to offer you value in some way, and that might be donations to a cause that they care about. It might be something where you're demonstrating that you are sensitive to the the fact that their needs and requirements are changing and saying, if this is going to add value to you, we found something that has added value to other customers. Let's help you with adapting yourself or tell us what are the problems that you're relying us for that we're not doing a great job on and let's see what we can do to, to help you on that. And if you hear it often enough, then obviously it's something that goes up in your prioritization and something you should be dealing with.
0: As you mentioned, people resources again a lot of layoffs and everything has been happening as well. So hiring is actually easier right now. And if you have some resources for that, that maybe it's a good place and time to hire just that consultant or professional you've been looking at but couldn't afford, maybe it's more affordable at the moment.
1: Yeah, there's that. And there's also the fact that, you know, We used to only look at the talent pool that was local to us that could show up in our office on a day-to-day basis. For most companies, there were some that were already used to working remote and hired remotely. But now your potential talent pool is anyone who speaks your dominant language and is within an hour or two of your time zone, depending on how flexible you want to be on those things. You potentially have a lot of great people available and you can cast your net much wider afield. It is hard to do onboarding in this uh, space, but people are making it work.
0: One of the great case studies that we've been covering here in the show is Tito by Paul Campbell, and he's been here a dozen episodes ago. And his platform, a ticketing platform, just went from millions to zero, essentially, and they had to regroup. And in a couple of months, they turned out a new amazing product platform for online events called Vito. And we've talked to that about that on the show as well. so that's a great example how they approach this. Are there any recommendations on, on marketing from your observations about how to what kind of marketing is even working these days? because clearly uh, zoom fatigue and everything has gotten in place, and like what shall we do next? What shall we do now?
1: I'm not an expert on marketing, but the the best marketing I've ever seen from anyone was companies that invested in a great user experience but nothing convinces other people to use your product like somebody giving a genuine recommendation of this worked for me this was so impressive i need to tell a friend about it and that works really well so outbound marketing may be a good thing for you and that's not something i'm gonna pretend that i have enough expertise in to speak to it but investing in customer experience and going the extra mile for people makes it it's a media buy and a marketing buy that you could never place on your own
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing your ideas. And as as a closing question, I would love to hear some insights as per how has your worldview changed from February, March, and April when you were releasing your book, when was it exactly, to like nowadays, like six months later from that?
1: I've just been lucky to have some really amazing conversations with people. And this started off of a couple of conversations I had, quite a few conversations I had with friends and to see the reactions I've had and the ability to share resources that have helped me throughout my career with some really great people and their approaches and the way that I practice and see how many other people enjoy the same things or are discovering some of them through me is fantastic. And the fact that we're doing this all for pandemic relief, that's, you know, any imposter syndrome, any embarrassment I might have about promoting myself is totally gone when you realize you're doing it for a good cause.
0: That's great to hear. And one last question would be, so what, what shall we do next? (laughs) (laughs)
1: so i'll urge everyone to buy the book it's on all the amazon platforms and should be on other ebook platforms as well it's called what do we do now and like i said it's really valid for uh, both the last few months but anytime you're facing some uncertainty and disruption i also have my own podcast uh, called the product experience which is part of the mind the product network which is a lot of fun and i run something called product in the ether or P-I-T-A. It's at pita.social. It's a virtual lean coffee for people who are product people who just want to talk to other people in similar situations and get advice from each other. But I encourage people to look at any of these things. And if you want to contact me, I'm on Twitter and my site is called Out of Owls. Links to the book in every country that I could find are at outofowls.com slash book.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. And I hope we will have less reasons to exercise the things that we <laughs> discussed today and things will get on the right track. But yeah, we appreciate your insights very much. Thank you, Randy.
1: Thank you so much, Jane.
0: Have a wonderful rest of your week.